forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again I'm forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted forgiven 
Good morning. Good morning. Are you guys ready? We're going to worship Jesus this morning. Let's stand together and let's welcome him in.
hope you guys had a good week. Did you have a good week? Yay! Good. I'm glad to hear that. Would you turn and welcome and say hello this morning to people and just tell them you're glad to see them and that they're here. Good morning. Just a few announcements to get through this morning. Um, Just a reminder that we already have our children's program started and going. So if there's any kids left in here, they can go see Miss Tracy up the ramp. Um, And that children's program is going on right now. Um, If you note the election results in your handout, we we just want to thank everyone of those who are willing to serve on the board and as delegates to the assembly. So you can go ahead and check out all that happened with that board election last week in your handout. Um, That should be out or for pickup. Um, The Women's Thursday Bible Study went out to share hymns in a Bible study at the Aspen Nursing Home this week on Thursday morning. Um, Yeah, give it up for them. I'm sure that was a great time. Uh, May 10th, that's a Tuesday night, we will have our assessment report, dinner meeting. That details in the, in the Sunday handout as well. But if you want to come out for that, please check out the details there. Uh, just a couple of things this week. We will be meeting in regular time for youth group, 4.30 today, uh, right here in the gym, 4.30 to 6.30. And what time is prayer night? 6.30 on Wednesday, that's right. Uh, one final announcement is that we have our first meeting of the Young Adult Gathering. Um, this is Friday, May 6th, right here at the church. That'll be dinner and games and led by uh, our very own Pastor uh, Kelly Spittler. So that is it for the announcements. I believe um, Lori's going to take it from here. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. Hey, uh, Jeff, I got music in my head, and it's real music. It's not just what's usually there. (laughs) That was a joke. You guys can laugh. (laughs) We're going to continue to praise the Lord. Would you guys stand with me? Um, Actually, you know what? Hold on before you do that. We're going to take an offering. I almost forgot, and that would have been bad. So let me have the ushers come forward, and um, we will take the offering and continue worship through offering. So we'll have them come down, and then we'll pray. And uh, we'll continue to worship Jesus through our offering and our songs. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for always giving to us, Father. You never run out of resources. And, Lord, we are grateful that um, 
you give them to us and trust them with that. So, Lord, I just pray that we will give with our hearts today. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless it. And, Lord, I just pray that the rest of our service is just focused on you and that your spirit comes in and takes over, Lord. We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
let's pray this morning to welcome the Holy Spirit in this place. Lord Jesus, here we are gathered again this week. We're here waiting on you, Lord, because we need you. We want you here and we want your spirit to feel welcome in this place, Lord. Many of us have had really busy weeks, crazy things going on, hard things happening. But Lord, we know you're in charge. So I just pray that right now we can just set those things aside. Lord Jesus, check them in at the coat rack. And Lord, I pray that we can put on your garment of praise. Lord, be welcome here. Holy Spirit, flow through this place as we continue to worship you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.
where we're at, for taking us for who we are. All the flaws that we see in ourselves, Lord, you look at us and you smile. I'm so grateful for that, Father. We love you, Jesus, as we go into this time of communion and remembering you. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be pulled even closer to you, that we wait with expectation and and know that you are going to speak to us today and and that you have a plan. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you've done for us, Jesus. In your name, amen. You may be seated. It's good to be with you all today. I'm, uh, I'm blessed to be here. Uh, hello, Pastor Ben and Kelly. They're checking in to be sure we're behaving ourselves. In just a couple of moments, we're going to take communion together. I want to kind of prepare us just a little bit. First um, Corinthians uh, chapter 11 gives us some instructions, perhaps cautions, about taking communion. It says that it's, we should examine ourselves to be sure that there's not any division amongst us. He's talking to me and to you. We want to learn to live in unity. That's the church should be doing that if anybody in the world is. So those, those are cautions for us. Uh, Jesus said, as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. Luke tells us in the 22nd uh, chapter, he's... Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it says, When the hour came, he sat down with the twelve apostles with him, and he said to them, With fervent desire, 
I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With fervent desire. Jesus had been taking uh, the Passover meal from the time he was a child. He knew something about it, but this one was special. I want to do this with you before I suffer. We want, to, we want to think about what Jesus has provided for us in the, his death, burial, and resurrection. So I'm going to ask that you come forward, and Lori's going to help me, and we're going to uh, serve you. And you'll take these, the little cup and the bread back to your seat, and then we'll wait and we'll take it together in just a few moments.
as, uh, as we partake of uh, communion today, I want you to know that Jesus said it's a memorial. It's something that we remember. We use this as a time when we're together to reflect on all that he did for us. The beating that he took. The, the part of the Passion of Christ movie that I cannot watch. I, I just grieve when I see what he, did, he took on himself for me. Spikes driven through his hands and feet and finally a spear stuck in his side. We reflect on that, what it means. It's the great exchange. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And we received his righteousness. We can stand because of what Jesus did in right standing before God our Father. Communion is another thing, and it's a part of the memorial is Jesus ties the, his future coming into this, or his coming for the church in the future, into communion. He says to his disciples, when you take of the cup, you take and you drink that. He said, and you drink all of it, but he said, I won't take of the fruit of the vine until we do it together again in my Father's kingdom. So in communion, we think about both things. We think about Jesus, the, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. We also think about what he secured for us in the future. He's not coming back here as the Lamb of God. He's coming back for a church. And he's coming back as King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29, it says, And while they're reading, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. If you'll take the little wafer out of your communion elements, these are a little easier to get out than the ones we used to have here. Jesus told his disciples, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Let's take together. The scriptures go on and say, and then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them and he said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood in the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. The purchase price of the New Testament, his blood, as often as you drink, do it in remembrance of me. This is the forward-looking because of the righteousness that's ours because of what Jesus did for us. Amen.
Lord, I ask you to come and help me love these people like you love them. Your people. People that are precious in your sight. Some of us are going through really, really tough times. And some of us are able to celebrate freely. It's an awesome responsibility to stand before your people and care for them. Help me to do that like you would, Lord. ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A few uh, weeks ago, I was sometime in March, I was back in Kansas. And uh, when I go to Kansas, I meet with uh, several guys who I used to go to church with in the end of the 70s and early 80s. Jane and I were a part of a, a uh, church plant. And these were people that had been a part of that church and gone with us for a long time. There are three guys that I meet with almost every time we're there. They all have the motorcycle virus. But we're connected by other means as well. And every time we're together, we kind of do a spiritual checkup on one another. And it was no different this time. And I'm not exempt because I was a pastor. They'll crowd me a little, and that's all right. Because I push back. But in our conversation together, we we got around to talking about the frustration we all feel because of the situation the world's in today. It's just as a mess. And I told my friends, the only reason I have any hope at all right now is I believe I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is going to pour out his spirit one more time in this world. And it'll be a greater outpouring than happened on the day of Pentecost. It's going to, I call it the end gathering, where people are going to be rounded up, brought into God's kingdom, that there's yet one great revival going to happen. I'm holding out for that. I hope it happens in my lifetime. I want to see that happen. I want to be a part of it. One of my friends that was sitting there with me said that he agreed with me, that I think that, he says, I think that there's going to be yet another great outpouring of God's Spirit. But he said, but I don't... I don't think it's going to come from the church. I'm sure that all three of my friends could have read my face when they made that statement. Because he probably, my face couldn't help but show what my heart was experiencing hearing somebody say that. I'm a church person. I love church. I'm... The, the, the church, that's you and me. It's not buildings. It's not denominations. It's the people of God. And I love them. They're encouraging to me. I need them in my life. They're a check and balance for me. We walk together in life. And 
I have people in my life who have permission to say the hard stuff to me. You're messing up. And after I get over it, I can go back and say, you're right. I need correction in my life. The, the term church certainly implies that we're connected together, that, that there's a connection. It's not about a bunch of lone wolves that are running around. My friend thinks it's going to be parachurch groups. Uh, he happens to be uh, one of the officers in a uh, Christian motorcycle association, and, and they do a bunch. Uh, they're real outgoing. They go to all the rallies, and they're pretty bold in sharing their faith. And I get that he, he sees that, but it's not where I'm at. About a day or two after that conversation with my friend, I got a text from Pastor Ben who's asking me if I would be able to speak on May 1st. Well, usually I try to hem-haw around and pass that off to somebody else because I'm retired, you know. <laughs> but I had a, a fire burning in my belly about this. And I want to talk to you about that. I want to get there. And I, I told Pastor Tim, I said, I know where I'm starting and I know where I want to get to, but I'm not sure how to connect those things. And he suggested that I use Google Maps. <laughs> That's my friend. So I didn't use Google Maps, but I put out a cry. God help me. So if you'll stay with me today, and listen, I've got a few lists of things I'm going to give you. I'm going to tell you that the way we take notes today, it, you could do it like Barbara does, who's got a pen and paper, and she's doing it. Or you can do it like Larry does. You pull out your phone and you take a shot. We call those screenshots. And there's going to be some of those that you need, I hope. Ephesians 5 verse 25 says that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. Did you notice the pronoun he called it a her? The church. We're the bride of Christ. That's the goal. That's where we're headed, to be the bride of Christ. He goes on and he says that Jesus loved the church and because he loved her, he gave himself that he might sanctify. That, that's a religious term for set apart, that he might set us apart for himself, set us apart and cleanse us by, with the washing of water by the word. And, you know, we can sit at home and read the word, and we should, and it's healthy for us. I happen to have read Romans uh, ten seventeen that says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you walk in my house and you hear me over there talking to myself, it's because I'm hearing what I'm reading. But there's another part of that, and that is that we gather together. We hear the word of God. 
We hear it, we encourage one another. All this sanctifying and cleansing and washing was done so that Jesus might present to himself, Ephesians 5 says, a glorious church. What does a glorious church look like? According to Ephesians 5, it's one without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Since I've gotten older, these spots have shown up. I hope it's nothing to do about any physical things because I'm undone. What does a glorious church look like? I I really honestly want to know, have you ever been a part of a glorious church? I've, I've been a part of a few glorious services where the Lord showed up, and I'm, I know he's here now. I'm talking to one of those areas where you couldn't have stood up if you wanted to, and we'd probably all been flat on our face because of the presence of the Lord. I'm, I know what that's like. I wish it for everyone. I want to belong to a glorious church. I want to be a member, a contributing member. I need that kind of church in my life. And the world needs it as well, by the way. What does a glorious church look like? Would would a glorious church look like the church that's described uh, in Ephesians 4 that honors and respects, receives the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. For the perfecting of the saints until we all come together, they're equippers. Is, is that part of what the glorious church looks like? Is the glorious church look like, I think 2 Corinthians describes the, the church that Every member is important. They're recognized and they're important. We don't put them in different levels. Every member is a contributing member. Is that what a glorious church like looks like, or is it just part of it? Does a glorious church look like the five wives virgins from Matthew 25, the five that had prepared themselves, and they had plenty of oil, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, in their life. Is that part of it? The Greek word used in Ephesians 5 for for a glorious church, means this. It means that it's splendid, it's noble, it's gorgeous, and it's honorable. I wanted it to say more. I wanted word to help me more. Here's what I believe about glorious when I read that word. All honor 
and glory belong to the Lord. It's all his. So here's what this scripture says to me. It says that the glorious church is a church where every member is reflecting to the world Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords. Every member that we have a responsibility I'm, a, I'm pretty sure that church today has become a spectator sport. You know, it's these guys up here and the rest of us. And it carries over. I don't know when it happened or how it happened. I'm afraid that a lot of it happened on my watch while I'm a pastor. Something happens and all of a sudden the church thinks that they're the ones that are getting paid for it. They should do all this stuff. If evangelism is going to happen, it's up to them. And I did a lot of that. And I had two or three members who could run people off faster than I could gather them up. It's church life, unfortunately. It ought not be, but it was. I want to encourage you all to read the book of Acts this week. Your assignment. One of two or three I'll give you today. Read the book of Acts and just take a look at how they impacted their world. I think that the glorious church is only going to come about when every member is pulling its weight, that we're all pulling together, that we're working for one thing, to bring glory, to reflect who God is in our lives to those outside. One of the responsibilities we have as church members is to bring other people to the church to invite people to come. The disciples started the church by saying, come and see. We found the, we found the Messiah. Come and see. Let's say it all together. Come and see. You can do it. You can do it. I can do it. We have a responsibility. There's a world outside of here who needs Jesus Christ. It's our job. Our. All of us together. Acts 1, verses 7, 8. Jesus' last words before he was ascended into heaven. He said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I believe that the average Christian is terrified of sharing their faith with somebody else. 
the thing that I fear most in life is rejection. Anybody else? I rejection. I can take a little heat if my friends are going to reject me for telling them the truth. But I'm not going to stand before the Father one day and know that I had the opportunity and I didn't take it. That I didn't find a way to share my faith for what God had done in my life with them. So this morning, I want to give you four easy steps they're easy until you're up here telling everybody they're easy. They're easy steps uh, to share your faith. And these are things that I've, I gleaned somewhere from reading Pastor Rick Warren's, uh, one of his books. I don't know which one, and I can't tell you how many years ago it was I heard it. But he says the number one step is we must accept personal responsibility for sharing our story. Listen, I, I think we, we, people get confused sharing Jesus with people because we think we have to know chapter and verse to get there. You don't have to know all the chapters and verses. I'm going to help you with that in a little bit. I'm going to give you the four spiritual laws and tell you how to chain reference that in your Bible. So if you know where John 3.16 is, you're connected. You can start there and go. But you don't have to know that. God has worked in your life, believer, and you have a story to tell. I found a lot of times if I would start a conversation with, well, the Bible says this, or this people just close off. They're not ready to hear it, or they've already heard it, and they think about all the hypocrites in church. It'd probably be me at some time. Uh, we just get lost in that stuff, and we forget to tell our story. God's worked in your life some way. How's he working in your life today? Are you paying attention? He says that we're to be his ambassadors. That's from uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, that we're to be his ambassadors. We, he wants to speak through us to the world. He expects us to take the things that he's done in our lives, the transformations that have happened, and use those things as testimonies that God's at work today. We're not talking about ancient history here. Over 2,000 years ago, we're talking about a God who loves people, who has a plan for their life today, and the plan is good. And they're out there struggling, trying to do it. Hey, and some of us are trying to do it because we haven't really tapped into God's purpose is really better than my idea of what life should be like. You don't have to reach the entire world. But it is your responsibility to reach your world. You have a sphere of influence. 
and God expects you to use it. Here's step number two. Develop relationships. People don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. That's human nature. You have neighbors, co-workers, the guy who bags your groceries. It's endless. Jane and I have brought people to this church that we met in Walmart's parking lot. It can happen if you just pay attention. The people are all around you. But you have to build those relationships. Listen, it might cost you something. I want you to know that. I know that. It costs me time. I don't like to do evangelism on Monday night during football season. I find football fans and then I work on saving them. No, it's not quite that easy, but it costs us. We have to develop a relationship. How do you do that? You have to care. I talk a lot. My friends will all tell you that. But that doesn't help me when it comes to sharing with other people. What's important for me to do is to start asking them lots of questions about their life. Get them to tell you their story. And when they share the rough stuff with you, to show a little compassion and ask them, how did you make it through that? It's getting to know their children. It's being nice to their dog. even if he's a snippy little thing like Pastor Tim's dog who wants to chew my pant leg when I go and visit him. Take some effort to get to know people. John Maxwell says, when it talks about building relationships, uh, he, he says that you need to pay special attention to their spiritual spot. Their spiritual spot. That's the place where they're most sensitive in life. For most people, it's going to be their family, I would gather. That would certainly be mine and probably yours. Sometimes it might be an area of trauma that they'd experienced sometime in their life. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear the pain. And you can ask them if you can pray for them. And how would it be best for me to pray for you? What would, what would you like me to pray for you? It's really important that we're genuine. I have an agenda when I meet new people. My wife joined the Aqua Aquatic Center. She's over... She goes over there and two different groups of ladies have invited her and I don't know that one of those and either one of those groups are Christians. You know why she's there? Because she doesn't have any non-Christian friends. I started, just before the COVID thing, a Romeo club. 
Hey, it's Retired Old Men Eating Out. It's actually a national organization. And I would put it on the Woodland Woodland Park page that we're having a Romeo meeting. I was looking. I need, I need non-Christians in my life. I love y'all, but y'all are the holy huddle. And you already know all the stuff I know. But I have a story that I need to tell. I need to tell people about how God has changed my life. You'd think I'm boring. You'd think, how could you? (gasps) Well, I did. And he loved me. Be very careful. when you touch those sensitive spots in people's lives, that you treat them with grave tenderness. It's, it's, if, you, if you do damage there, it's hard to ever get back that friendship. It may take you months before they want to hear your side of the story. One day... One day, they're going to ask you, what? Why is it that you care about me? What is it about you? And then you'll have your opportunity. Part of our building relationships, the first part, it's the precursor to all your friends coming to know the Lord, really, is take and build a list of people that you're acquainted with, that you want to touch some way for Jesus Christ, and then begin to pray for them. Prayer is like saying Sikkim to the Lord. When we turn somebody's name over to the Lord, he starts working. You may need to know them months before you get to share. And every bit of it's valuable time. You can make a lifelong friend. You can make a friend for eternity if you do this right and you love people. The third step is to share your story. When you get an opportunity... When somebody says, why? How did that happen? Why, how did you get to where you care about other people? Why do I see you and your spouse relate, relate different than I do with mine? Sometime they're going to ask for your story. And the third thing is to share your story. Now the problem with lots of Christians is we think evangelism is pointing out all the wrong stuff our friends and relationships are doing. Here's what you need to know. Jesus says we're to be his witnesses. We're not there to confront other people and and to tell them about how they screw up their life and what, what a mess they are. We're there to tell our side of the story. That's what a witness does. He goes and tells his side of the story. 
what's God done in your life? Now, here's the hard part, is you need to learn to tell your story in three or four minutes. I could give you a 30-minute version. I could give you an hour version. But those are dangerous for me. For one, when I get too far along in my testimony, the people get bored. Or, worse yet, they begin to think I'm talking more about me than I am about the Lord. Because you use the pronoun I so many times. You need to learn to cut it down. Here's my testimony. My, church, my family didn't go to church much. I got sent two blocks down the street to a church. And I went there as a kid, and I went often, and we talked about uh, Jesus in Sunday school, and went upstairs, and they talked about God. But when I was nine or ten, I got invited to go to a church camp. And while I was at church camp, I had an encounter with the Lord myself. I invited Christ into my life. From that time, from the time I was 9 or 10, clear through high school, I read my Bible every day. Admittedly, it started with chapters, and by the time I was a senior in high school, sometimes I was wobbling a little bit at night, and I would read and it would only be a verse or two. My senior year of high school, I met this girl. Oh, yeah. And this girl and I dated for an entire year. And I didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated. And she had another year of school. So me being the not-so-smart guy, I volunteered for the draft. It was in 1966. I spent two years in the Army. I got out of the Army two weeks after turning 20, and I went home, and that girl had changed, and I had changed, and that relationship was going nowhere, and I moved to Colorado, and I lived out here for a year, and I worked for Beach Aircraft, and then I went back to Kansas to go to college, and I lived with some guys, six or seven guys in a house, and uh, we were typical college kids not real bright and not real studious college kids, but we were college kids. And one day there was a knock on the door about six or seven months after I moved back there, and it was that girl. And that girl and I dated again. And in 1971, we were married. And in 1972, a year and a half later, we were divorced. And she went to Denver, and then she moved to Alaska, and then she went to uh, Europe and backpacked all over and lived on a kibbutz for a while, and then back to Alaska. I had moved to Texas. If you looked at my life, you would have thought I had it made. I had a brand new house, a brand new car, and a brand new Harley Davidson and I was empty. And I thought all this stuff was going to make me happy. Turns out that girl in Alaska had an encounter with the Lord 
transformed her life. And she would write and tell her mama about what had happened to her life. One night, her mama, who was a devout Christian her whole life, but she got down beside her bed and she said, Lord, whatever you've done in her, in my daughter, I want you to do that in me. And he did. And that little woman and a bunch of other little Methodist ladies started praying together and I became target number one. (laughs) And you know how divorce works. You have to take sides. I was the bad guy, supposedly, because they only knew one side of the story. But that's what happened, and they started praying for me. And my world started falling apart. And one night, at my girlfriend's house, I reached over on a coffee table and picked up a copy of the Living Bible, and that Living Bible came alive. I had read that book before. Remember when I was 9 or 10? You start at the beginning of a book. I had been there. But all of a sudden, I saw Jesus Christ in everything. I saw him in creation. When it says, and we made man in our image. I've read that before. There's only one God. But there's Jesus, we, our image. I got to Genesis 37. There's the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He's the the biggest type and shadow you could find of what Christ was going to look like. And I gave my life to the Lord. And then I got in trouble with the Baptist church because I was baptizing more people than they were. But it was pretty easy because people saw the change in my life. My friends, what's going on with you? I can tell you the truth. I never asked God to restore that marriage. But he did. And in a matter of a few months, Jane in Alaska, and I was back in Kansas then, and God started doing this. I've never looked back. I'm telling you, I know what my life was like. I know how empty it was. I know how I used people. I have lots of regrets in my life. Allowing Jesus Christ to be Lord is not one of them. When I peek over my shoulder and look back today, it's just this, just to see how far I've come. I know I've got a long ways to go. I probably got over four minutes, but basically... That's a cut-down version. usually start off by saying, could I tell you uh, about what's made the biggest difference in my life? And then they tell your story. Here's the fourth thing, is give them a personal invitation. I'm trying to see that clock back there, and it's, Somebody throw a shoe at it. Um, 
give them a personal invitation. If, if they're ready, if they've responded to you sharing your story and they've been receptive and hungry and you can read that, then by all means, if, if, if you're equipped, if you're prepared, lead them in a sinner's prayer. Lord, here I am. Help. Amen. If, if they're not ready... If, if you can't read that they're receptive, then by all means, don't do that at the time. Just back up. You do not want to do damage to the months that you've put into sharing with people and building a relationship. Don't let anything get there. But what you can do is you can invite them to come to church. That's pretty easy. And if they come... Or when they come, here's what I want you to know. If there's an invitation given, you have permission to pray with one eye open. Because I don't want you to miss it when somebody sticks up their hands and said, I need to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Are you with me? Listen, the, the four spiritual laws, do you have that... Overhead. That's the first one. There's a screenshot. I'm going to run through these and just let, let you take the shots on them so that you have them with you. The first spiritual law is God loves you and he offers you a wonderful plan. It starts in John 3.16. And then it goes to John 10.10, 10, the, the second phrase. Listen, if you'll take your Bible, and at the top of your Bible, on, in John 3, you'll write, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Go down and star 3.16. And then under 3.16, write John 10.10. 10. And then... After John 10, 10, you're going to go to the next spiritual law, which is man is sinful and separated from God. Therefore, he cannot experience God. The reference below John 10, 10 is Romans 3. But when you get to Romans 3, you're going to write at the top of the page, man is sinful and separated from God. And there's another verse, John or Romans 6.23, and you reference that one, and you go there, and then you'll go to the third spiritual law. Jesus Christ is the only provision for sin in our lives. Through him, you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. And you'll do the same thing right through those scriptures that are there. You write on the top of the page, the spiritual law number three. The fourth one, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's John 1, 12. And then Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And you just chain these down. It'll be so easy. You've got at your disposal, 
Every one of my Bibles, every time I get a new one, the first thing I do is write these things. I write them in red because it's salvation. Got to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to do the same. I want you to have tools that are equipped. I want you to be hungry. I want you to experience what it's like to lead your friends to the Lord. Make new friends. Start a Romeo club of your own. Your wife will be proud of you. Listen. Do you remember Flight 93-911, the flight that stuck in the middle of nowhere? I had some references here for, for some people that were on that, on that flight. I'm not crazy. I know where I'm taking you. The first passenger I know about is Thomas Barnett, Jr., he told his wife over the phone, I know that we're all going to die. There's three of us that are going to do something. I love you, honey. And he hung up. The second one is a, a stewardess. Her name is Sandy Bradshaw. She's a flight attendant. And she, and she called her husband and she explained that she had snuck into the galley of the ship, of the airplane, and she had, had uh, filled pitchers with boiling water. In her last words to him, everyone's running to first class. I've got to go. Bye. The third one's the most famous, and you've heard of Todd Beamer. He's heard over a loud, uh, over a line, an open line saying, are you ready? Let's roll. Listen, they knew what their fate was. If you're a believer, you know where you're going. You know what's out in front of you. Those people put their life on the line, took a chance to save the people that were on the ground. They didn't know if the, if the target, nobody knows today, if it was the White House, uh, if it was uh, one of the major monuments in Washington, D.C., if it was a nuclear power plant, nobody knows. But those people on the airplane said, we're not letting them do what they've done to the other two buildings in, in New York. We're, we're, we're going to do something. Here's how this connects with you and me. You know where you're going. What about your neighbor? What about your in-laws? What about the other kids in your class at school? Who cares I do. Jesus Christ cares. What are we doing? What are we doing that's more important than following on the Great Commission? That's never been rescinded. We are the ones who are going to reach the world. If we're going to be a glorious church, I don't know what the Methodists are going to do. Maybe they've got a few little Methodist ladies that are out there preaching and praying together that will have a huge impact. I want us to have a great impact. I want Woodland Park to be a great place to live. It's going to happen one person at a time, and you and I are called to be a part of that. Lori, let's do a closing song. I've kept you just a little bit longer than I wanted.
but you're worth it. I think you have to stand up for this song. Well, yeah, it gets your blood moving a little bit. Thank you so much, Pastor Larry. I think that is such an important thing. We get caught up in so much of everyday mundane things that pull us away from what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's all, let's all tell people about who Jesus is because I don't want anybody to perish at all. We're going to sing about it. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Because shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes the way when the rain go away. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you. Tell the past to disappear, oh, let me tell you about my Jesus and all the wrong turns that you would, going under if you could, who could work it for your good, let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Oh, he makes a way when there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can save. Let me tell you
We can hear about it. But you've got a story to tell. But there has to be some prep work done. We have to love them and care for them. Don't get in too big of a hurry. They'll want to know what makes you tick and why you love them. May God bless you. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, you touch my brothers and sisters. I speak life over them. I speak that they have opportunities to share their testimonies. But you be preparing people in front of them, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that every one of us is responsible for the people around us to share with them. I ask you to give us those opportunities. Live through us. Thank you, Father. I ask that you seal your word, that you make us hungry for those opportunities, and we're willing to do the legwork, that we are kingdom builders indeed. Go before us and make a way, Father. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have prayer needs of any kind, I'd be glad to pray with you. You're dismissed. Cheers.